Welcome to 35 West. My name is Margarita Seminario. I am the Deputy Director of the Americas Program at CSIS, and I co-host the 35 West podcast. With how professional the Mexican but government. Are we ready? Um, I don't think. Reformed trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. Our guest today is Mark Lopez. He is the Chief Operating Officer of the Partnership for Central America. Irregular migration from the Northern Triangle has been a big area of concern for the Biden-Harris administration. Violence, economic insecurity, and corruption have all led to the increased migration from the region. The administration has taken actions to counter this, including humanitarian efforts, anti-corruption efforts, and branching out to international partners. Vice President Harris has also called upon the private sector to make significant commitments and investments in the region to send signals of hope to its people and address root causes of migration. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Margarita. It's a pleasure. Before diving into the work of the Partnership for Central America, I think we want to hear about your personal and professional background. Give us a Mark Lopez 101 snapshot. Tell us about your background and how you came to join the partnership. Perfect. Thank you, Margarita. So I grew up in, in Tucson, Arizona, and of parents of Peace Corps staff. So I had the international bug incorporated into my family from an early time. I, uh, like many young people, went off in a different direction for my childhood and my college education, which was focused around music. But then, of course, uh, came back to my roots in some sense and, and joined the Peace Corps myself and really got a grounding in grassroots development as a water sanitation volunteer in, in rural Paraguay. So I was able to relearn Spanish during that time and, and really get a sense of uh, the day-to-day of people living uh, as subsistence agriculturalists and working with a local school and going house to house. And so I very much for 15 years saw myself as a grassroots development person that had a career founded in that and in uh, working with uh, some research entities that were associated with my master's degree program really looking uh, mostly in Latin America at, at what kinds of things uh, were ultimately used for, for households across the region. And uh, was able to then come to Washington uh, with a degree in government, understanding that I should probably work in government and uh, took a job with uh, USAID and then worked in the House Appropriations Committee for some time on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and then went back to USAID as a political appointee in the Obama administration and then finished my service in government as the U.S. Executive Director to the Inter-American Development Bank. And from there, I left government in 2016 and worked in startups in New York for three years, building out their business across Latin America and beyond. So very much all the elements of a startup or two different startups with the good and the bad. And I'm coming back really to the to the partnership for Central America with very much a, a startup disposition. Um, and as we are a new organization, there are very many similarities, but with uh, a sense of kind of coming back home and joining my friends and former colleagues in government and the Congress and, and a lot of the private sector groups with whom we spoke with uh, over the years and, and able to, I think, continue with those relationships as we work to uh, bring solutions to Central America. I think you've answered part of my question. What lessons from the global development world are you bringing to the work of the Partnership for Central America? 
Well, thank you. I, you know, I think bringing a, a startup disposition to this particular challenge, and when I say this particular challenge, I mean, you know, building economies and providing options for people across El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras to stay in their, in their homes and their communities and to have economically fruitful lives and, and to study and learn and, and form and build families. That's a hard effort. And I think a lot of what startups are doing for different reasons, which regardless of the type of startup, it's there's nothing simple about it. And I think uh, for, for what we're doing today, you know, we're bringing very much concepts of product market fit, uh, use case uh, and, and building in some of those business principles and, and, and expanding market share and communications to a challenge that has been, you know, is mostly a, a government to government or a civil society and government uh, endeavor. Uh, of course, the private sector has been engaged in these kinds of efforts for many years, so it's not entirely new, but I think we're bringing a sense of, of scale and building that scale in from the beginning uh, at, at a minimum, uh, a sense of scale and a vision for scale and a plan for scale. Uh, and those are, I think, uh, are elements of, of this effort that are new and, and are exciting. And I think we're seeing a lot of that excitement uh, resonating today with respect to the outreach that we're getting from private companies. Uh, and I'll get into that as we continue the conversation. Mark, the current administration has placed a spotlight on Central America with Vice President Harris's uh, call to action and plans to invest $4 billion in the region by 2024. May I please ask you to introduce us to the Partnership for Central America? What is the mission, the general objectives of this initiative? So we uh, were born out of the, the May 2021 announcement uh, by the vice president uh, in her call to action to the private sector uh, to really engage on commercial investments to, into the countries I mentioned, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And these are, you know, the, the commercial investment uh, point is an important one, right? I mean, corporate social responsibility and grants and donations, that's all well and good and very much welcomed as part of this effort. Yet we're focused on commercial solutions because that is what we see as having the greatest long-term impact and sustained impact with respect to jobs, uh, good paying jobs, and economic options across the population, particularly in the target population, uh, but across the population, so that there will be uh, efforts uh, over over a decade. You know, I think we have a very much a long view on this, but with a short-term aggressive posture. Uh, the long view is building in partnerships, uh, so mobilizing and coordinating the private investments from both U.S. companies as well as regional companies and serving in somewhat of a matchmaking role between the two. We also uh, work to uh, bring in new partners, so uh, companies that may not have seen the region as a opportunity for investment, we are serving as positive uh, narrative and a encouraging a coalition to bring new entrants on as a team to work together across the U.S. government, across the multilaterals with whom we have a memorandum of understanding, uh, and across our corporate partners both here and in the region, uh, to really think about individual investments that are uh, narrowly within their corporate goals, as well as a collective impact that we're really trying to achieve over years uh, so that uh, the economic engine of that region uh, continues to provide both for the companies and, of course, for the populations uh, that live there. Mark, let's take a deeper dive into the work of the partnership. 
Could you please share with us some of the initial projects? Sure. So um, we have several elements that led from the beginning. For example, Microsoft has committed to connecting a million people to the internet. And, and this is not just a simple connection, but it's a very much a, a full suite of efforts with which they bring uh, in terms of education and content and utility of being able to be kind of digitally included. That's the kind of name we use. And those efforts are critical to allowing people to have a sense of the outside world, to connecting them to new skill sets and to bringing them into kind of the broader economy that we all live in now, I think, in a, in a virtual world. So there's clear uh, progress and we have um, you know, communities that are connected for the first time both to electricity but also to the internet as a result of Microsoft's leadership and their efforts to date. MasterCard is a company that is invested uh, and committed to invest $100 million across these countries over the next few years. That is to bring people into the banking system. Uh, we know from research that uh, one correlated element uh, of a sense of rootedness across these communities is whether people have a bank account. Uh, and so to the extent that we can help increase the number of people that are banked, that have some root in their community, that they're being able to, to save money and to, to keep their money in a, in a secure place, that's an element that is, as I said, correlated with rootedness. And we are trying to build rootedness across this region. Uh, and so MasterCard has uh, led very strongly in, in these efforts, uh, and they will continue uh, through their long-term commitment here, again, with a business and a commercial interest, um, but certainly with a, a mindset towards bringing in these populations into the banking system. So those are uh, two specific examples. We've also got couple companies like Nespresso who are building out their work uh, in terms of sourcing coffee, but also working with their uh, current farmers and their current efforts to improve the uh, opportunities for the farmers with whom they work, connecting them to credit, connecting them to insurance, and bringing in uh, a value-added set of services for their communities. Uh, this is in partnership as we look to work with the U.S. government. Uh, we have a coalition of partners across the agricultural sector, uh, not just in coffee, but more broadly, uh, whereby we're um, presenting a joint action and a, a collective effort to really seek uh, solutions for rural agriculturalists, which we know uh, from the migration studies that you know a lot of the, the, the migrants are from agricultural communities, particularly in Guatemala and Honduras, um, but across the region. And so we want to make sure to reach those communities and to provide them with real tangible uh, short-term changes to their life so that when a family engages in a, a kind of a stay or go calculus that they have uh, more opportunities to look towards where they currently are. Mark, how will the partnership factor into the programming inclusion of women and indigenous peoples, for example? Great. That's a perfect question. I'm glad you asked. You know, our, our partner CARE uh, has committed uh, $50 million uh, into a large scale uh, center on gender equity across the region. Uh, so they are in the process of, of staffing up and, and bringing those elements into the partnership. Uh, that is something we see as a critical part of this work. And as we know in development for decades, you know, in, investing in women uh, is an investment in society and that investment uh, pays dividends well beyond its cost. 
uh, as well as indigenous peoples, of course, particularly in Guatemala, in the rural areas, and other marginalized groups, you know, these are our target population. I mean, this is the group that we're really seeking to meet. You know, there are tech companies, of course, and, and innovative ideas in capital cities. That's good, too. But that's not where the majority of the job uh, centers are and where the, the population is. So we certainly need to meet them where they are and work with them closely on things that are relevant to their day-to-day life. And, and so we see kind of those groups and our efforts in that as, as a critical point. So it naturally falls into our target group, but in, in addition to that, we're making specific outreach efforts across uh, civil society in the region, across civil society in the US, uh, to ensure that our programming and that of the investments of our corporate partners are taking into account all the various elements that they might be able to build on their investment, have a greater return on their investment uh, through specifically targeted efforts towards women, indigenous peoples, and other marginalized groups. Mark, what are some of the indicators of success of the partnership? You know, we're looking at that very closely, and we have a strong leadership from the Harvard School of Public Health who leads our metrics pillar. And so they have committed to work with us, which we're very appreciative of, and, and they have built a dashboard of metrics to really uh, look at data. I think a lot of what we want to do is going to be data-driven and informed by the data that exists on the ground. And that includes surveys through research uh, groups, that includes uh, economic data, that includes uh, public perception data. So this is all an important element to guide both our corporate partner investments and guide the efforts that PCA itself is sponsoring. That has sort of several elements. There's the big macro indicators in terms of outright migration flows and household surveys, but there's also very tangible, concrete elements like how many jobs did we create? How many farmers did we support? How many people did we bring on uh, into the formal banking system? How many people did we facilitate connecting to a bank account? Were we able to ensure uh, tens of thousands of farmers across the region so that they have uh, some semblance of a safety net uh, in case their harvest goes poorly due to climate change or excess rain or insufficient rain or coffee rust or whatever that uh, the case may be. We want to build this in kind of across the board, uh, measure it, use the measurements and the data to inform our effort, but then also to track progress and to frankly report back across our partners as well as back to the U.S. government and, and to the vice president's office, you know, how our efforts are, are doing. So I think we're holding ourselves to a very high standard there. We're asking all our partners to uh, commit to share data with us so that we can ensure that we are uh, fulfilling on the commitments that have been made as a group. Uh, And so we're going to continue very aggressively on that effort uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, what we say and and what we do uh, matches up and that we can connect that to uh, tangible changes on the ground. That's fantastic. Let's talk more about some of the opportunities you see in the region. What do you see the Northern Triangle offering investors now and in the future? Thank you. Well, certainly, you know, the proximity of the U.S. is an obvious one. There's a a strong workforce with an incredible willingness to work. There's a cultural affinity with U.S. systems and U.S. companies. There's a long history of work uh, with uh, American companies, but also with products and services and tourism. And so this is a close family. I mean, I'm currently in Brownsville, Texas. My wife's family's from here. I'm based in New York, but I'm a mile from the U.S. border. I go off across the border frequently. I see the migrant families that are huddled in tents sometimes, kind of waiting to come across. I have cousins who work on this side of the border on service 
services for those individuals. So it's in some ways very personal for me. And uh, I've been to the region many, many times across each of the countries. And so, you know, I've seen these programs uh, work very well. I'm the first one to sort of cry when I see a group of young people with a sense of uh, self-esteem that is different than it was a year ago or two years ago. And that's, that stuff is all really important. But what, what I see in those young people, um, which is where we want to take this to scale, is a tremendous kind of willingness to work willingness to build themselves a new future. And because they're in this hemisphere, I think, you know, from a commercial standpoint, there are time zone uh, factors that are always going to be an advantage vis-a-vis other parts of the world. Uh, anything with respect to the nearshoring dynamics of having supply chains closer to the United States, I feel like that's narrowly within the U.S. interest. Uh, so there's a lot of competitive advantages, uh, both from the, the human side of the equation, as well as to geographical advantages advantages that we really want to take advantage of and introduce those to U.S. companies that may not be working in the region and really build a coalition of people that uh, can double down on this for the future. Let's place a spotlight on Honduras for a second. Xiomara Castro was recently inaugurated as president in Honduras. Notably, she's the first female president. What opportunities do you see with this new administration? Thank you. We just concluded a delegation to Honduras last week that with the State Department, with Undersecretary Jose Fernandez, and we brought uh, several of our corporate partners, as well as working with some of our NGO partners on the ground, uh, to those meetings. We were able to meet with President Castro and her cabinet. We had extensive conversations with all of them. And I think what we saw there was a, a thirst for engagement, a thirst for doing business, a willingness to act fast uh, and enthusiasm for what we are able to offer, and a, and a very pragmatic approach to kind of roll up the sleeves, uh, be available, and let's get stuff done. And I think, frankly, that's what we're looking for. You know, that's exactly the kind of disposition that the private companies are looking for. Uh, you know, again, comparing like a CSR element and a, and a charity element versus a commercial enterprise. Having come recently from the commercial enterprise, there's not a lot of time to waste. You know, we have to engage very smartly, be very responsive, and we expect that from our government partners. We expect that from our corporate partners. And so when we see that from from a government that is really um, putting their cards on the table and saying, we're willing to uh, to work with you, Uh, let's get concrete, let's talk about next steps, let's follow up quickly, you know, those are signals that we saw in Honduras last week, and those are signals that we are very enthusiastic are going to benefit this partnership and the execution of our joint programs together uh, for the coming years. So we're hopeful uh, that that's going to continue. And I think we're looking for that as well in El Salvador and Guatemala. And to be candid, we have yet to, to have those same meetings to that extent in, in the other countries. That's on, on, on our agenda. We are committed across the region, and we are um, looking forward to continuing those conversations, both with the private sector uh, locally, as well as with government officials at all levels. Uh, and we're here with a very pragmatic willingness to, to get to work, and we're looking forward to hearing the same from them. A year from now, what do you hope that the partnership for Central America has accomplished in Honduras, for example. Great. Well, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is one role of the partnership is to scale and vet sort of large ideas and present them for the broader partnership community for consideration. Uh, For example, we're looking at uh, investment vehicles and a private equity fund, for example, that could focus on a couple of key sectors 
take advantage of the investment opportunities that are in the region, but really kind of top off all the various elements and crowd in uh, incubator initiatives and entrepreneurship training to really bring some dynamism to that entrepreneurial sector. We're looking at ag, we're looking at gender focused programs. So that's something that I think, you know, if we can show some of these larger ideas that are really fleshed out in a year and or operational in a year, I think that would be a big success. A couple other examples there that we're, we're looking at and or are already underway. You know, we're looking at crop insurance across the region. You know, what elements at scale are possible there? We have been supportive of a concept called the Central AmeriCorps, which is really a youth civic service program that is envisioned as a scaled effort across the three countries. So I'm talking about 20,000 youth from each country, so 60,000 youth total. This is uh, people who would essentially be in service to their own country in doing whatever is relevant, whether it's working on COVID relief, whether it's uh, supporting uh, other health efforts and kind of uh, rural health efforts, whether it's uh, trash cleanup, whether it's uh, emergency response. We want to build a core of people that really have a sense of service uh, to their own communities, but at the same time, provide them training and opportunities for jobs with our local partners. So whether that's, you know, English language training or, you know, training on, you know, professionalism and resume or attending a workshop, uh, whatever makes sense at the decentralized level, you know, this is a core, a group of, of large scale uh, investment in youth that we'd like to see happen. Uh, and just an update on that, since it was recent, the the U.S. Congress uh, appropriated $50 million for that effort uh, about a week and a half ago, and that's in support as well with a similarly scaled contribution from private philanthropy from the, the Howard G. Buffett Foundation that has invested uh, significantly in launching that concept. Uh, so we very much look forward to seeing those thousands of faces of young people that have this renewed sense of civic service and have a sense of hope uh, for their livelihoods where they are today. Uh, so that, that's another element. Uh, a third, I would say, you know, progress on, on manufacturing and trade and, and really seeing some of the conversations we've had to date materialize in real operations with real job creation on the ground. So we're holding ourselves, like I said, to a very high standard. We're, we're taking big bets on these things, knowing, frankly, that not all of them are going to succeed in the, in the vision that we want. We know that. Uh, but we really believe that we have to set the bar quite high. Uh, because frankly, what was absent in some of the previous efforts, and, and I led them as a USAID official, I led the Partnership for Growth in El Salvador. As a USAID and IDB official, I helped coordinate the US government response uh, through the Partnership for Growth. And there was a, a lack of a sense of uh, scale that frankly I had in, in, in those programs, and I don't wanna make that mistake again. And I think we need to continue to push ourselves and our collective uh, community of people around this to really think in those scale terms and and sort of put pilot projects aside and really try to you know cre create fires uh, as quickly as possible and really build that enthusiasm at scale. I could not agree with you more, Mark. Is there something that we did not cover? Anything else that you would like to highlight or add? Well, you know, one thing I've been surprised at. So I, I began this role in in October, and I've been incredibly impressed with the amount of outreach that has has come to our table and inbox and, and emails 
the, the number of companies that are interested and engaged in a positive way, the number of U.S. companies as well as regional companies that really want to respond to the call to action. That's one. I think there's a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. There's, uh, I feel like, a pent-up demand for engagement in this way. So we are trying very uh, hard to, to respond to all those elements and, and to, to bring people in where they fit uh, and to bring everyone together. The second is, I think in Washington in particular, in the Latin America policy community, you don't have to walk very many blocks in downtown D.C. to run into someone who spent years in the region, who has family in the region, who uh, worked there either as an embassy official for the U.S. or another country. And so the amount of uh, kind of free labor that we've uh, received is extraordinary. The number of advisors that we have on our board, and you can see it at our website at uh, centampartnership.org, the people who have come to us and say, you know what, I'm just available. I like what you're doing. I want to work with you. How can I help? And so we're very much trying to, to channel that. We're very big on kind of bringing in this support. This is not true for all regions of the world, but in this region in particular, there's a great affinity. There's also a, a tremendous amount of knowledge. This is not a new place for a lot of us. These are not, you know, foreign lands. This is very much home uh, for many of us on, on this side of the border and, of course, on the other side of the border. And we're really trying to make these linkages and, and direct us all collectively uh, into a positive narrative that turns into positive action uh, and provides greater uh, options for, for people across the region. So I think I'm, I'm very impressed and encouraged by that outreach. And I think if we're successful, it's going to be because of that broader community that is committed to PCA and the broader commitment across the U.S. government. Of course, there are probably 100 people around the U.S. government who have spent many years working and in different ways uh, on these elements. So, you know, between the U.S. Congress and the, the executive branch, uh, the think tanks across the region and in, in Washington in particular, uh, th this is a big community. And we really want to try to be a, a harnessing force to direct those efforts in a coordinated way so that we can see the impact that we all know is important and that we all know is necessary to, uh, uh, to create the opportunity we want to see in the region. Mark, thank you so much for joining us in 35 West. We appreciate you making the time to speak with us today. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.